Welcome to the Comics Misremembered Podcast with your hosts Jim and John, and here's the opening music. everybody welcome back to another rocking and rolling well it's not even rock and roll more of a smooth jazz uh return to comics misremembered i'm your host jim and john is with us in spirit uh we are going to be talking about a comic today uh if you've been following the uh twitter and uh facebook and instagram so the social media that we have uh you know the comic book we're going to be talking about is the seminal uh, the Dark Knight Returns, or also known as Batman, The Dark Knight Returns. Uh, so that is going to be the comic we're tackling today. And uh, before we get into it, I always like a piece of music that tries to represent the subject matter that we'll be discussing. And uh, this week, I picked uh, that song. And you know that how we usually do it. Um, normally when John was here, he would uh, guess uh, who the artist and the song title was. And uh, he would sometimes get it, sometimes he wouldn't. But this time around, I think he would have uh, gotten it because this is the this song is definitely in his wheelhouse. John is um, he likes R and B. I like R and B, some R and B too. Not you know, not a lot, but I do like some. I like this song, and uh, I also like you know rap. We we are very well rounded people that like all different styles of music. Uh, but this and this one is um, if John were to guess it, I guess he would get he would get it right. And that's Mark Morrison's Return of the Mac. Um, Mark Morrison's, um, I don't know, like, I can't even think of another song he had. I'm sure he had other singles, but nothing, unfortunately, none are coming to my mind at, at this moment. But you must, you might be saying to yourself, well, Return of the Mac, I mean, isn't this a song about uh, a man whose girlfriend cheats on him, and then he's, like, he's going to get revenge on her by becoming the biggest Mac there is? It's the return of the Mac. It has nothing to do with uh, vigilantism or superheroes or dark nighting. Um, it, it, it doesn't. It, 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 it doesn't. But what it does have in common is when that song, Return of the Mac, came out, that song came out like in 95, 96, around that range. So 10 years later, after the return of the Dark Knight, and uh, it was a monster hit. Like, it was super big. Everybody knew that song. That song would then go on to be played um, in commercials, in movies. It would last well beyond its original uh, lifehood of like a, how a song usually goes, a big song especially, where it's just a couple of years, then it fades away, and then maybe people remember it when they talk about, hey, remember that song from the summer of 1985? And um, people would remember it. Well, that's the reason, what, that's what it has in common, is that Return of the Mac was a massive hit when it came out, and, of course, The Dark Knight also was a massive hit when it came out. So we're going to be talking about that now. Uh, this is a comic that I've been wanting to get into the podcast for a while now. And um, we always had different things that we wanted to talk to or something new would pop up. And so we'd force that for forward. But I knew eventually we'd get the dark, the dark Batman, The Dark Knight Returns. Um, onto the podcast, and I'm glad I'm talking about it today with you, because this is Comics Misremembered episode 299, and we'll be talking about this uh, seminal comic. Uh, as you know, the comic was written and drawn by Frank Miller, and Frank Miller, you know, is a fan favorite of this podcast. We've done uh, multiple podcasts on Frank Miller himself, talking about his career paths and, and some of the um, 
uh, creations that he's made. We've covered multiple of his creator-owned stuff like uh, Martha Washington and Ronan. We did that a, a few months ago, Ronan. And um, so definitely going to be talking about The Dark Knight Returns. Now, the inker on this one is Klaus Janssen or Johnson, John, Jansen, Janssen, Janssen, uh, however you want to pronounce it, Klaus Jansen, it, it, but I think it's Janssen, right? And then the colorist Lynn Varley, who is a longtime colorist. I believe Frank Miller is married to Lynn Varley, right? And um, th these are the creators that made this fantastic comic series. Uh, what about the comic itself? Well, let's talk about a little history of the actual comic book. Uh, the Batman The Dark Knight Returns was originally released by DC as a four-issue miniseries from February to June 1986. It was printed on a prestige format, so that is the square-bound, um, glue-bound glue over staples, heavy stock paper, and card stock cover. Watchmen was also uh, released the same year, in September 1986, and was in the same format. And the thing that DC took a chance on by pr producing both The Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen especially in this format, was to say, is there a market for mature comics um, and releasing it to the direct market? So this is, you know, getting away from the newsstand, the spin racks, um, and then going right into the specialty comic book shops, which were emerging right around this time. And uh, the other big thing, too, is if you think about the price uh, of these things, the Dark Knight Returns retailed for two ninety five per issue. It was a four issue series, two ninety five an issue. Comic book, a regular comic book at that time, uh, and also the the prestige format was forty eight pages, so it was double the or a little over double the length of a normal comic. And a comic is twenty two pages, but a regular comic book is sixty cents at this time in nineteen eighty six. Uh, and so you have the prestige format, which is two ninety five. Now again, our were people willing to pay the extra money for this prestige upscaled comic book, which had a mature story with familiar characters, Batman in this case? Well, the results are in, and yes, they were willing to do that. A lot of people did that. This was one of the biggest sellers for DC at the time, and uh, and and I guess you know this is what helped springboard Watchmen because they're like, look, this sold well. We have this other project, which is very similar in themes, in storytelling. Um, let's do it the same way. And it's and that one sold like Gangbusters too. So we covered Watchmen way back a while ago. It was it was episode 150, if you, if you want to go and search for it, uh, and at our website, which is comicsmisremember.com. And, um, we, you know, we had fun. John and I had fun talking about the Watchmen. And uh, so I... I you know, one, I'm going to keep it in a similar format. So the when I talk about Batman The Dark Knight Returns, I want to talk a lot about the history of the comic, its cultural impact in the comics industry. Um, and then, but of course, I am going to talk about parts of the storyline, uh, really familiar parts. And, um, and then, you know, and then that will be the end. I don't think this is going to be stretched out to a two-part podcast, even though if John was here, he and I could definitely make this a two-part podcast just by going through our memories about the book, um, about reading it, how we first read it, and then with the reread, of course. Uh, so we're going to get into it, talking about it. Now, I, sh I share the same story about this comic book as I did sh uh, share it about the, the Watchmen, about reading it. How did I come to first read it? 
Well, at this time, in the 80s, in the mid-80s, like 85, 86, 87, I was out of comics at that time. Um, I had one part-time job, which I was using some of that money to pay for comics. And when I lost that, oh, I qu- actually quit that part-time job. Uh, when I quit that part-time job, of course, I had no money um, to pay for comics anymore. So I had to get out of the comic book game. And uh, so it, and, and, unfortunately for me, you know, I say that ironically. <laughs> getting out means it was out, I was out of 1986 the whole year. So that means I missed... Watchmen in individual issues. I missed uh, The Dark Knight Returns in individual issues. I missed um, The Mutant Massacre, which was one of the first crossovers and in, 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 X-Men crossovers at that time. So needless to say, I try to catch up. When I like, I got another job uh, at the end of that year, 86, and I started to get, and I, I, I told the story of, I was at a Toys R Us buying a present. I think it was for my nephew. And I was standing in line, and there was a rack of comics. They, they had those three packs that they sell. It's just like um, $1.99, and there's three comics in there or something like that. So I saw one of the covers was G.I. Joe, and G.I. Joe was one of those comics that I was reading before I left. So I bought the three-pack, and I fell in love with the storytelling. You know, Larry Hama, um, Hama um, got me back in, into it again. So I was just like – so I went to my local comic book store – uh, I loaded up on some issues that I missed, and I started collecting um, regularly all, all over again. So what I found out is, uh, uh, you know, after the fact that there's these two great comics that existed, Watchmen and The Dark Knight Returns. And luckily for me, this is when DC saw big money in not only selling the individual issues, but collecting them and selling them as a trade because they found out when you sold them as a trade, they immediately sold out, and they're going to reprint the trades. And that was a rare thing for the comic industry up until this point. They weren't doing a lot of trades and even reprinting of trades once they sold out. I also want to say the uh, beverage that I'm enjoying uh, with this podcast is a, uh, a beer that I haven't had in a while. It's called Bellhaven Scottish Ale. I don't. I, we, we probably. I can't remember the last time I had one of these. And I, I, the only reason I'm bringing it up is this is a beer that John introduced to me. It is a, uh, it's a dark beer, but it doesn't have a bitter taste. It's very smooth. And I was familiar with dark beers like Guinness and um, Newcastle Brown, uh, both very good, good beers. John's like, you've never had a Bellhaven. You don't know what you're missing um, in, unless you get this. And the, unfortunately, in, in, like in my area, you think I should be able to get this type of beer any place, like at your local package store, liquor store, whatever you may call it. We go out to go into the packy in my area. And um, they don't, they, like the only thing they can buy at, at your local liquor store nowadays is like the most popular stuff like Budweiser, the uh, all the seltzer water that is out there, and like uh, Corona uh, and stuff. Uh, uh, it's it's kind of like the generic stuff that you see on TV. You can't see and reach out, and you have to really reach out to get something like this. But I wanted to bring up because I was luckily I was at one of those gourmet uh, liquor stores in our area, uh, and it's called Total Wine. And I happened to go in, and that I call that place like the um, the Toys R Us of liquor stores because it has every label you can think of, every wine label, every you know hard liquor label, every beer you could want. And I just stumbled across 
Bellhaven six-pack purchased. It's coming home with me, and it's perfect because it's it's black and blue, um, just like Superman. I mean, not Superman, Batman. What the hell am I talking about? I, I have, I'm only half into one, and I'm already like mixing up my memory brain. But that's why it's called Comics Misremembered. But, yes, so it, it, it the uh, the color uh, stylings of the label match the uh, colors of the main character. So I just wanted to bring that up. Okay, getting back to how I was reading this comic. So, I heard about The Dark Knight Returns. Bat- I keep calling it The Dark Knight Returns. I mean, everybody knows what I say. What I say. It, you know, it's supposed to be Batman, The Dark Knight Returns, but everybody will refer to it as The Dark Knight Returns. And uh, I have the original trade that I purchased, and I'm looking at it, and I, I told John, I was like, I bought this, and I believe it was at a um, uh, D uh, Dalton, is it B Dalton? Yeah, B Dalton's. At a B Dalton's, which was a local chain store. I'm, I'm sure, no, I'm sure it was wider, but it was one of the smaller chains that existed in New England. And uh, John's like, well, you're going right, way back with that one. And uh, they had this one, and they had the Watchmen. So I picked up both at the same time. And let me just let me just tell you how old this book is. This I bought this in '87. It was printed in '86, I believe. The cover price is twelve ninety five. Twelve ninety five. Um, I think you you know if you were to buy this now, it'll probably cost you twenty five dollars, or yeah, probably twenty five dollars for, for a trade, um, with the inflation adjusted for inflation. The other thing you can tell how old this is is it doesn't even have a DC uh, logo on it. Not even the DC Bullet, which was the uh, logo at the time. It it has Warner Books. So they, they were distributing this as more of um, less like a comic book and more like a regular book, Warner Books. I just wanted to point that out. So I bought that, and of course I devoured it when it, once I read it. It, it, it. Fantastic, fantastic artwork, fantastic story to me. Somebody who was a young person uh, reading that. Upon my reread, did I like it as much? I still love this book. I think it's a fun read. Uh, This book is, you know, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, it's mega influential. Sold millions of copies individually, probably sold millions in trade. Uh, Where does it come from, though? So let's talk. I I watched some interviews uh, about Frank Miller about a year after it was published. And, of course, since it blew up so much, he was interviewed. He was interviewed for Rolling Stone. He was interviewed for other things. I saw uh, on YouTube, there's a Frank Miller interview um, that was on a um, a documentary called Comics Confidential. And it was an interview with people who were like uh, mature writers, artists, and uh, people from the underground scene. And I just happened to catch the Frank Miller version of it. And he was asked, you know, what, where does this come from? What, what was the impetus for you to write The Dark Knight Returns? And this is what, what he said. Um, well, actually, no, you know, I'm going to give you the whole thing. So this is the setup of it, and then I'm going to include that interview in there. So Frank Miller had worked on DC on his own creator-owned comic, uh, Ronin, which, again, we covered on this podcast, uh, back from 1983 to 1984. He was planning on going back tomorrow to begin the return of Daredevil with his Born Again storyline, another popular storyline that we also covered on this podcast. Um, new new Batman editor Dick Giordano recruited Frank to work on ba- a Batman miniseries while writing Daredevil at the same time. 
Jared Donald said he worked with Miller on the story's plot and said, the version that was finally done was about his fourth or fifth draft. The basic storyline was the same, but there was a lot of detours along the way. Now, this is the part where I was talking about that came from Comics uh, Confidential and, a, and another uh, interview that I, I saw. So back in the 80s, when Miller was making a name for himself with Dare, uh, Marvel's Daredevil, he felt comics were a viable medium to tell mature stories. He had seen Batman grown softer over the years due to censorship in the 50s and then solely focusing comics towards kids in the 60s. He felt the general public knew Batman as Adam West, this campy, goofy Batman TV show. But that that's what... And you also... The other thing that probably didn't help Batman is I, I was thinking about Super Friends, the cartoon series, late 70s into the 80s, where it was, um, you know, the Batman and Robin from the 70s. And uh, they were less... They were, they were like the Hardy Boys uh, uh, on TV, less uh, detective, because again... The t cartoons were more focused on getting kids' attentions, and I understand that. I understand the whole marketing of it, and uh, but that it was still a goofy thing. Is this like they was like the solving solving the mystery of the uh, stolen lemonade? You know that was Batman and Robin on the Super Friends, and um, or did that deserve a or maybe a little? All right, I'll take that. So uh, we have we, we have that, and so and Frank Miller has the same f viewpoint. It's just like the general public thinks as Batman as a joke. He's just a guy that jumps, gets into a jumpsuit and tries to solve mysteries. Miller wanted Batman to be get back to his darker roots, where he was. This is his words: he was ruthless in his methods and terrifying to criminals. That he walked with a gun on his hip. He goes on to say that movies like the 1980s Death Wish and uh, Dirty Harry are a right-wing version of the 1930s Batman. And The Dark Knight um, was an attempt to take it back, both in tone, in tone his to his original roots, and also politically, because Batman had more liberal leanings to him. But also moving forward in a kind of mature uh, way of telling stories for DC and, and Marvel um, that were both publishers at the time and still are publishers. Miller wanted to make Batman as old as his legend. Batman celebrated his 50th anniversary in comics and in the 80s, and he wanted to make him cr a cranky old man with a hearty sense of malice that he had in his origins. Again, these are words, these are Frank Miller's words. In 1980s America, he when he was asked, you know, what his kind of like real inspiration is, he says 1980s America is a frightening and silly at the same time. And I hope the Dark Knight is frightening and silly at the same time. So I thought that was really interesting um, about like his wanting and his uh, what he used in his creations. Now this brings me to another point that some that often comes up uh, when people start talking about comics, and uh, people are like, "Hey." You know something? Comic books should be about story. They don't have to be about politics. You shouldn't be putting politics in comics. The comics that I read never had politics in them. And I'm like, get your head out of your ass because a lot of comics that you read is either directly has politics in them, much like Batman The Dark Knight Returns, or it, you know, it would have a allegory uh, of politics. Uh, it, it like um, or, or a parable similar to Silver Surfer, the parable that I, talk, I talked about um, a couple of weeks ago. So 
And but this one is overtly political because not only um, does it have a president, a, an existing president represented in it in Ronald Reagan, uh, representing the Republicans in this case, but it also talks about the political climate at the time, uh, it, the, the real wars that were going on, Russia versus the U.S., the Middle Eastern wars that were happening in America in real time, you know, in real life but also transposed with different names. They had different names um, in, the, in the comic book. So I'm going to dive into that. I mean, this is kind of the, the perfect starting point to talk about that. So we're going to start talking about politics in comics. So as I mentioned, that uh, it has the um, Ronald Reagan as the president of the United States, and you know, Gotham City is part of those United States in this, in this case. And how does Ronald Reagan get involved into the comic? Well, we'll get there. So, um, there's just a little, you know, again, if you've never, I can't believe nobody's ever read it, cause like, but I'm sure there's people out there who are just getting into comics never read The Dark Knight Returns. So what is it about? It's kind of like an alternate story. And I think I wrote a little um, synopsis. Yeah, I did. So here's the synopsis. The Dark Knight Returns tells an alternate alternative story of Bruce Wayne, who at 55 years old um, returns from retirement to fight crime and faces opposition from Gotham City Police Force and the United States government. The story also features the return of the classic foes such as Two-Face and the Joker and culminates in a confrontation with Superman, who works on behalf of the government. Okay, so now you have a kind of an idea of what's going on. Uh, the story, the first comic that starts off, which is, and the comics each have different titles. The Dark Knight Returns is the first one. Uh, the Dark Knight Triumphant is the second one. I know the Dark Knight Falls is the last one, is the fourth one. And then there's something in the middle. <laughs> I can't remember the, the third one. Um, but so they each have different titles to them. And uh, so Batman has been retired. Um, this, this comic features a lot of media. Uh, being displayed in it, so a lot of talking heads of uh, morning news and evening news talking about the events that are going on in Gotham City, and um, I think that's another thing that Frank Miller was talking about is like the media. Does it tell you fact or fiction, or does it make up reality as it goes along? Because when reporting started and started reporting, you know, back even on the radio, you were trusting these people that what they were telling you is reality that these wars they're talking about, that crime that happened, these were all reality. And for the most part, your evening news that you watch on your local channel does represent some things that have happened. This uh, event's going on in this city. This crime happened in this town. This fire happened in, in this city. You know, these are all real things that were reported and can be proven. But when you go to, like, the major news publications it gets a little bit more sketchy and you know like your cnn's and your fox news uh you, you have to take everything with a little bit of grain of salt um but when you can you can pretty much trust your local reporting but that's what you know frank miller's talking about is how much do you trust the media and the media is reporting that it's the 20th year anniversary of uh batman being disappeared and batman's trying to fill his time he's racing cars he's doing other things and um, but he, he keeps hearing about this uh, new gang that's rising up called the Mutants, and I always thought, you know, Frank Miller and the mutants, of course, were big with Marvel, 
And I always thought him naming the mutants was kind of like a swipe at Marvel. I didn't, I can't, I couldn't find any interview or any kind of material that would prove that, that if somebody asked him, why did you name him the mutants? And he came out and, because I think Frank would come out and tell him, he's like, look, this wasn't any kind of clever guys. This is like, I was making fun of Marvel. Um, but I couldn't find anything like that. So I can't confirm that, but that is my belief. Uh, is is that's why he named him the the new gang the mutants, and maybe he just thought like you know the, these are like kids growing up of uncultured mutants. Maybe he's referring to something like the time machine, like the Morlocks. And uh, so there's this new there's this new gang that happens to be in town. So um, they Bruce Wayne happens to be going through down the streets, and he comes to he doesn't even realize when he's walking that he comes to Crime Alley. This is the place where. The true Batman was born, where his parents were murdered, and then this is where he gets a sense of uh, like wanting to do something in his life to kind of repay crime um, for murdering his parents. And as he's there, he uh, he meets some of the mutants, and then he des- he decides that the you know he, he 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 the mutants didn't don't decide not to attack him because they look like he's the some he's not just some elderly gentleman he's an elderly elderly gentleman that can kick their ass. So he decides uh, they decide to leave him alone get away and and then Bruce kind of really thinks about returning at this point and because he feels that the Gotham City is not really doing anything and Jim Gordon is close to retiring Jim Gordon a longtime friend to Batman um in supporting uh Batman in Gotham City uh so he starts you know coming back uh and this the, with these reports of Batman coming back resolving crime uh this worries President Reagan now there's not. Uh, he tells this kind of analogy um, uh, story about is m- m- kind of more so of a a parable um, or a fable about um, horses. And as long as so he's talking to Superman, he's telling the story to Superman, and he's like, you know, United States and democracy is like horses, and uh, the horses they stay within the fence. And they can be uh, broken and trained. And because of that, they are contributing to the farm. And sometimes, but sometimes the Broncos, they don't, they buck wild and the, the handlers can't tame them. And they break the fence and they go outside of the fence. And that's when they cause a ruckus and things break down and system breaks down. I am paraphrasing this. I'm not reading this word for word out of the comic book. I'm just trying to remem- remember the story. It's a terrible story when I say it. But if you if you re, if you hear Ronald Reagan say it, especially in Ronald Reagan's accent, saying, "Well, let me tell you about some horses." And if you go and where the horses, well, Superman, you get the idea. And uh, so he. <laughs> that was more so for me, so that I could have a little drink. So, so you get the idea that that uh, Superman is going to work for Ronald Reagan to try to tame Superman. Now, I, uh, I so this is maybe my only complaint with the story, because I, I compare it, having read a lot of other stuff, I compare it to Civil War. Civil War is an okay comic book. This is the Mark Millar Civil War. And um, I like the concept of Civil War, and, and the premise of that is, uh, a supervillain who is uh, basically a, a, a nitro, a, a walking bomb, explodes and destroys a, a city in Connecticut. 
Of course, you, you, they, dug, they did something different for the Captain America Civil War movie, but this is the comic book version. Because who wants to have like a story about killing kids? <laughs> so he, they, he detonates and he kills a city in Connecticut, which is near a high school, and kills a lot of kids, a lot of teenagers. And the because of that, the United States feels that superheroes are um, dangerous to society. And that all superheroes should be registered and then trained so that they can help legally take down these villains. And it was because uh, there was new warriors were uh, antagonizing this guy, and that's what caused him to, to blow up. So what happens in that story is Iron Man goes full force behind the government about the registration. This is a great idea. Let's get behind the government and let's register people. And then Captain America says to to Iron Man that this is not a good idea. There was a, a person that decided that they wanted to classify people in different groups, you know, and this is referring to Nazis and Hitler, and um, and that the people that didn't follow the rules got take, taken care of, taken care of, uh, and so he fought against Iron Man and became a fugitive to the law. Now this is stays true to the nature of. Captain America. Captain America fights for truth, justice, and liberty. And he felt that the registration was a violation of people's individual rights. Individual, Because people have the right to choose to be a superhero, have the right to choose to keep their identity private and not register and be, it becoming public. Uh, and so that was a crux uh, of that storyline. And I like that because, again, I felt this makes sense. Iron Man, corporate lackey, weapons maker, sure, He's going to back the U.S. government. Steve Rogers always bucked at the U.S. government whenever they had these things that turned kind of that made him, him try to be an instrument of fascism in some capacity. So it always made sense that Captain America would buck that trend. Now, Superman is a lackey to Ronald Reagan, ultra Republican. Uh, it, it, it Like it doesn't make a lot of sense because I feel that Superman at his core at in, in his spirit is a uh, person that fights for truth, justice, and uh, liberty, just like Captain America. And why would he agree to take down Batman and to fight on behalf of the United States president? Now, it, there's not there's a, there's a dialogue that Superman has, inner dialogue, as he's working his way, because he's also helping fight a, a secret war. I'm going to get into that a little bit, too. So he's he's um he's fighting this war, but he's having this dialogue because he's easily destroying these tanks and airplanes and uh, knocking soldiers down. You know, not necessarily killing anybody, but incapacitating them. And he's talking about like Bruce, why did you come back? If you stayed, if you stayed in the shadows, I wouldn't have to chase you down. Um, people they know they fear this because gods walk among us. I mean, and I'm again paraphrasing. This is not word for word that's going on in the comic book. And it's just like, why did you ever come back? Now that you're coming back, I'm going to have to hunt you down. And, uh, and there's a little bit more to it, but I I feel that there's not a lot there that makes me, you know, say that, okay, uh, Superman, I can see Superman's justification for wanting to t take down and tackle Bruce Wayne when he's fighting crime as a vigilante. Is he His kind of credo is he doesn't kill anybody. I don't hurt anybody. Now, when you, uh, if you go back and listen to the podcast that I talked about, when Frank Miller was saying, I'm going to take it back to his roots, Bruce, Bruce Wayne in the 30s and the 40s 
well, more so in the 30s, carried a gun, used a gun. He was like the, he, of course, was a, a kind of a, a stealing of the shadow that other super, uh, vil, super villain or superhero vigilante crime fighter of the time. And uh, so he wants to go back to that. Now, Bruce Wayne doesn't necessarily carry a gun on himself in this, in The Dark Knight Returns when he's 55, but he does use other people's guns in this. And there's a couple of contexts where it looks like Bruce Wayne does kill a couple of people. And you might say, like, I had this argument um, with uh, Brian, who's our, the person that works in our local comic book. And he was saying about, because he loves Batman, and he loves this comic. And he said that, uh, you know, Batman never kills. And then I said, oh, yeah, didn't that happen? Because in, in, I haven't read The Dark Knight Returns in, in a while at this point. I said, didn't he kill a couple of people in Dark Knight Returns? And he goes, who? And I go, wasn't it the Joker? And he goes, uh-huh, I think you're wrong. And I was like, oh, wait, yeah, you're right. I think the Joker kills himself. In, 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 and, oh, spoilers. If you didn't read it, spoilers, Joker kills himself. But what I forgot about was these inconsequential mutant characters. And I know he doesn't, there's a leader fight that we'll try to get into, uh, where he Batman has to attack the leader in order to assume power of the mutant tribe. And um, he, he beats him, but he doesn't kill him. But there is one scene that I can recall, having reread re it recently, where Batman, um, th there's th a pack of three mutants. And the mutants are, they're just like regular teenage gangsters, but they just have, uh, th this is the other thing that I think it's a swipe uh, against the mutants of the Marvel because most of the mutant characters all have these visors that looks like Cyclops visor. They're, um, they're just one piece that goes across their eyes and uh, they all kind of wear like a similar clothing. It's not necessarily the uh, the black and yellow suits that they, they recently had, but it's very similar. It's very similar. So that was that was the other thing that I forgot to mention about how I thought it was a swipe. But so there's three mutants that capture a little boy who's the heir to like some chewing gum um, dynasty. And Batman finds out about this. This is one of his first capers when he returns. And how um, all three of the mutants are carrying guns because they make a ransom notice. want a million dollars that would give the kid back. And one of the mutants is holding the kid, plus has a pistol. And the other two mutants have, like, you know, uh, machine guns, uh, like a, a M50 caliber machine gun, like the, one of these heavy-duty machine guns. And so Batman um, knocks, you know, had, pretends that he's picking the door, so they start shooting the door. And then, of course, the door opens up, and nobody comes through. They're like, hey, there's nobody out there. And then Batman comes busting through the walls and he gets the guy who has the heavy machine gun and he starts, um, and he knocks out the other guy. He throws his batarangs and the guy drops his gun. He's like, ah. And then the guy who has the pistol and the kid says, I will kill this kid if you don't back off. And Batman, who's holding the man with the heavy machine gun, turns the gun towards that guy and it shows him firing the gun and the guy getting, I don't know if he's getting clipped or getting shot. But it looks like he gets shot, and Batman says something to. He says, "I, I pull the trigger, and because I know you're serious, something to that effect." Now, it looks like Batman maimed, either maimed the person or he outright just killed the person right then and there. But you can't tell 100 percent what he did. But maybe he did kill that person. Maybe that's one of the first casualties of of Batman in this kind of new role. 
So I wanted to bring that bring that up. He doesn't kill anybody, but maybe that's something that um, maybe if he it started to really hurt people and wound people, then Superman can get on board about like he's out of control. He needs to be brought down. And I wish they had. I think wish there was more setup of that. Maybe even Ronald Reagan telling him and maybe even misinforming him that he's out of control and he needs to be brought down. He's a mad dog and he needs to be brought down. That makes more sense. So that was my only kind of minor quibble with this overall story. I didn't like the motivation of Superman um, working on behalf of the government to take down Batman. Okay, having said that, let's move into some other aspects and areas of, of the comic. So we talked about political. Oh, yeah, the other thing, too, is a talk, keeping on the political tip. Um, there is a the skirmish that I was talking about with Superman. He's fighting in this uh, Latin America country. It's made a country called... Uh, uh, Corto Maltese. I, I didn't write it down, unfortunately. Um, the uh, yeah, I think it's like Corto Maltese or something like that. And it's supposed to represent like um, the Contras in uh, South America. So again, if you remember your history of uh, in the eighties and eighty five, eighty six, Reagan was um, involved in this scandal called the Iran Iran Contra scandal, and it was a move to help the rebel fighters in Iran by supplying them with guns, U.S. made guns, uh, to try to overthrow the, uh, you know, the hostile forces. And, but also they were sending weapons to South America to fight the, uh, the Contras that were, were the Contras the, uh, the, the kind of fascist, and then they were, I can't, I can't remember. Hey, if you want to know the full history, the whole, the true, true remembered history of that, you should listen to our podcast, um, which is the unknown soldier, because there's a point in that where we talk about the Iran Contras and we give you about the whole history about uh, in that involvement. But that's what this, uh, skirmish that's happening on this little Latin America, Island, made up Island that's happening in uh, the dark Knight returns where Batman is, is fighting a battle. And what happens is, because Batman defeats the soldiers there, which were, in this comic book, backed by the Russians, um, the Russians decide to retaliate by launching a nuclear missile at the island and obliterating it, and also the U.S. base that's going to be operating out of there. And so Superman has to take that down. And um, he does. And that triggers another storyline in the main storybook, but I this is the political component I wanted to discuss uh, about that. That I and it makes sense the way that the the pieces fall, but I just thought it was re- weird that Superman's fighting um, a secret government battle. Uh, w- would Superman really do that? I don't know. Okay, so that's one part of it. Um, I talked a little bit about Batman fighting the mutants. I think the mutants are a good kind of non-group that he just makes up for it uh this is again 1986 if you think about new york at the time uh crime was on an all-time high around that time um Times square was much different than it was nowadays in fact we john and i had a discussion about this when we talked about the punisher circle of blood uh miniseries because it was um at a time where stories just like i, I mentioned uh 80s movies like death wish and um, Dirty Larry about uh, a Dirty Dirty Larry is about a police officer who's sick of the way the crime is 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 being handled um, through the kind of the softness of the criminal system, 
and he decides to take justice in his own hands, and he has a gun, three fifty-seven Magnum. It's one of the most powerful weapons. And then you have Death Wish, um, which has uh, a character uh, who's his wife, and his wife gets mur- raped and murdered, and then his daughter gets raped, I believe, but she doesn't get murdered, but she gets sent to a psychological, ins- uh, she's psychologically scarred forever. And so uh, you have Charles Bronson, who he who's the husband and father, uh, decides he's going to take justice in his own hands, and he gets a gun, and he learns how to use a gun, and uh, well, actually, he graduates gradually graduates to a gun. He has, he takes out um, a pantyhose and puts like, like rolls of quarters in it, and he smacks the criminals on the head, and he tre- it sets them up, and he takes them down. Um, but it, it's again vigilante justice. You're taking, you're going on the streets. You're superseding the uh, police department, and you're taking it into your own hands. And um, so that's what's going on here in this in this comic is Bruce Wayne. He, he one of the things that you know, as I mentioned, Frank Miller wants to do is get Bruce Wayne back to his cranky old. Well, get him into this cranky old mood, but also get him into more darker roots that he used to have. And one of the things he wanted to do was to get rid. Like DC, I guess it was the mandate was you got to keep the gray and blue Batman suit with the yellow logo on his chest. You got to keep that. So Frank Miller's like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll keep that. And he instantly gets rid of it at the end of the first issue because he has, he gets him into the suit. Like he's, he's not in the suit until like the middle of the comic because we're setting it up that Bruce Wayne was retired and now he sees things and now he wants to get involved again. So he puts on the suit again. And he says, I'm going to take down the mutant leader. So he finds out that they're all meeting in this junkyard. He has a battle with the mutant leader. And it's a, he's in the mud and he's and he says, this, this guy's too strong. He's too young. Um, he's not, I'm too old and I can't fight him. I have to kind of try to use my moves against him. But it doesn't work. And Batman almost dies. Luckily, he's saved by a young onlooker um, that gets him into his bat tank. You know, again. So he, put, he pulls him into his tank, and uh, his suit is destroyed, and so he puts on a new suit. The other thing that this uh, – so he gets – that's where you have the origins of the kind of the dark gray, black logo Batman. Uh, and he wears that throughout the rest of the series. So that is iconic that Frank Miller creates. The other thing that Frank Miller introduces is uh, the death of a Robin. And you know it's not Dick Grayson because you remember, there's mention of Dick Grayson um, – doing uh being involved be still retired but not wanting to come back to help be batman but you can see that part of the reason why batman retired 20 years ago was that he's uh his robin his current version of robin is murdered in some capacity and it doesn't go into that which is great because it's it leaves other people room to kind of write that story and but he only gives and i think he only gives the name jason he doesn't give the last name and as you know, a few years later, there's going to be a story written where Batman meets Jason Todd, and Jason Todd becomes this—he's this kind of like crooked kid, and he, he's headstrong, and you know, and he conflicts with Batman. And we even talked about the death in the family storyline, which is the death of Jason Todd, and that relates to the Dark Knight Returns. So that's another thing that that uh, Frank Miller puts into the mythos of of Batman. The other thing that I mentioned is a giant bat tank. Um, so he has bigger, better weapons. He's more, uh, he doesn't, again, doesn't use a gun. He uses that heavy machine gun I mentioned earlier, but, uh, he doesn't, um, use a gun, but uses his batarangs. He's, uh, much more violent in taking people down. 
the part I talked about with um, the Joker, uh, that that is a great scene too, where the Joker is uh, catatonic for twenty years because Batman retires, and then when he finds out Batman Batman's back, he becomes uh, alive again. He's uh, loses catatonia, and now he's back to he's not exhibiting the behaviors of the you know jocular Joker, the Devil May Care type type of person, because like, he's in the psychiatric unit. But he's working with a doctor that um, who thinks who's a quack. The the, the, the doctor Barth, Bartholomew. I can't remember the, the the name of the doctor now. Let me see if I check my notes. Doctor Barth, Bartholomew Walper. That's the doctor who thinks that he can rehabilitate all of the villains of of uh, Superman. Well, not Superman, Batman. But he thinks Batman is a sociopath. So there's um, two villains that uh, long time villains that get introduced in the Dark Time. The first is Two Two Face. Um, Two Face is a character that gets, of course, you you know Two Face. Half of his face is scarred because of an, an accident, and that scars him psychologically. And he goes on crimes, and he does these kind of like two part crimes. He gets his face surgically repaired, so it looks a hundred percent like his original face before the accident. And he he's in therapy for years, and. Dr. Barth- Bartholomew Walper uh, says to him that I think that you're good to be released. And, and he makes a public apology and he's like, you know, I can't, I know I'm never going to be forgiven, but I'm going to try to live a better life. And immediately he goes in and starts doing crime again, even though his face is surgically repaired and he has no excuse to really want to be Two-Face anymore. He still has that mentality about pulling crimes and Batman um, knows this, and so that's, this kind of brings him out of a retirement, and he takes Two-Face down. So that experiment failed for Walper, Dr. Walper. So the next experiment is he sees that Joker comes out of his catatonic state, and he's, he's, uh, he's wanting to get back into society. And he's, uh, and he's telling Joker that, you know, you're always been, you know, Batman's always been antagonizing you, and um, we feel that through the therapy that you've had here, that you're you're good to be released, and you know what we're gonna do? That we're gonna do it in a very public way. We're gonna take you on uh, one of a very popular late night talk show called David Endocrine, Endocrine, and and the the person who he's looking like is uh, David Letterman, Endocrine Letterman, kind of like sounds similar. Um, and David, and he looks like David Letterman, and the reason why that was a choice because in the eighties, David Letterman was. He wasn't the 11 o'clock talk show. He was the 12.30 talk show host, but he was extremely popular. I used to watch David Letterman in the late 80s into the 90s. When David Letterman moved to the 11 o'clock, 11.30, I never watched him again. Um, I sometimes catch the new show on Netflix, though, that I, I, I like that the balance of doing the talk show and then meeting the people in their home environment or wherever they may be. Like I, I kind of like that balance. But David Letterman... You know, he can be, you know, some people might say he's a, he's an asshole, but I like his style. Uh, it's his Serbic style. So they decide they're going to get on the David Endocrine show, who looks a lot like David Letterman, especially as the Gap Tooth. And um, Joker gets on that show, and the Joker immediately s- sets it up that he kills the audience, and he kills the doctor. He Well, actually, he doesn't kill the doctor. He has a little robot that does that spews out the gas that kills the audience, Looks like a little kid, the robot. Looks like Chucky. That's that's what it reminds me of. And um, he, he spews out the gas that kills the audience, and then he breaks the neck of the doctor. 
and the the, uh, the gas kills David Endocrine too. And the Joker survives, and he goes on to kind of uh, try to kill more people, and then Batman has to work to get hit at him to figure out where is he going to strike next. He killed two hundred over 200 people in the audience. So the... Um, there's this this giant conflict of uh, Batman and Joker, the final conflict that they'll have in this alternate history. And uh, as I mentioned, that Batman finally feels that he needs to stop him. He's like, how many people have I killed by letting you live is one of the things he keeps saying over and over. And um, so they have this big fight in the Tunnel of Love of all places. That's iron- ironic. It reminds me of Doctor Strangelove where um, the people are, uh, there's a Soviet uh, person fighting uh, U.S., uh, senators in the war room and somebody screams out gentlemen there's no fighting in the war room <laughs> or does that deserve a <laughs> I think I think so I think so uh, if you ever say never saw Dr. Strange Love check it out it is a hilarious movie so they're fighting in the tunnel of love and Batman um, he throws a battering in one of his eyes pre-fight before they get into the tunnel of love and so Joker only has one eye. And as they're fighting in there, um, he is he's choking the Joker. And the Joker pulls a knife and starts stabbing him in the gut. And Batman's like, I got to do something. So he, he um, he's going to break his neck, but he decides he can't because, again, that goes against Batman's code of not killing. So he throws the Joker. And the Joker tells him that I knew you couldn't do it, so I'm going to do it for you. And he, he breaks his own neck. He twists his own neck so that it breaks all the way and he kills himself. So the Joker's no more at this point. And now there's uh, the other storyline that pops up in this is uh, Jim Gordon retires, and he's trying to tell the new police commissioner that if you you know it's good, you want to ally yourself with Batman. But Ellen Yindel wants to make a name for herself, and she's... The people of the city say Batman needs to be arrested, and they're supporting the new commissioner, Yindel. So she's trying to chase after Batman. Okay. So the reason I bring up that portion of the storyline, the bat tank, the battles, the suit, uh, the fight with the Joker, and the the Commissioner Gordon um, uh, you know, chasing after Batman, or Yindel in this case, not Gordon, uh, is a, if you go read the Dark Knight Returns comic book and then go watch the... Um, Christopher Nolan movies, so which is the Dark Knight trilogy, that is the Batman Begins, the Dark Knight, and the Dark Knight Rises. And if you watch all three movies, essentially it's just a long version of what Christopher Nolan interprets as the Dark Knight Returns story. It's heavily influential in that. Now, and you can see that in the Tumblr that the Batman drives um, in the movie is similar to. It's a smaller version, but it's similar to the giant bat tank that he drives in the comic. So, so the next part of the story uh, that, that I, w- I would talk about is uh, th- there's a scene where the Joker sets it up that um, people are going to have to uh, be killed or hit the jo- Joker will kill them with bombs and laughing gas. There's, this, there's two ones. There's, one, there's a scene with the boat, the people on the boat, and then there's the scene where there's a building and how the, the, uh, the un- like it's an unbuilt building it's being built, I should say. And there's people that are being held hostage. But when you Batman looks at it, he sees that it's the Joker does a switcheroo, whereas the people that are in the hostage position are actually Joker's men, 
and the people that are the hostages are taped up to look like they're holding a gun so that when the police come in, they'll see the guy holding the gun, pointing it at the hostage and thinking, that is the Joker killer, so I'm going to shoot them to save the hostage, but in truth, that that would be wrong. So Batman sees that the Joker is fooling everybody, so he has to go through and take down the police officers and then take down the real, the, the, the Joker people who are the hostages in order to save the true hostages on that and that. So that's the movie. In the comic book, you have scenes like that where uh, there's a scene where Batman is going after the Two-Face and his gang, and he's cornered them into a building. And there's a new rookie in the uh, patrol car. There's an older gentleman, patrolman, and a younger rookie. And the older gentleman says, well, I've seen Batman before. Hey, you don't want to go into that building when Batman's in there. You're better off staying out here, and then we'll just pick up the pieces. He's like, no way. I'm not going to let Batman do my job. So the rookie goes running into this building. Batman is taking out the criminals, but he also sees that if the rookie gets to him, he's going to interfere, could shoot. The criminals could shoot him. So he knocks him out, the rookie, and that gives him time to take down the last criminal. So that was kind of another like homage that uh, Nolan is paint, painting there. Um, you have between the end of The Dark Knight and the beginning of The Dark Knight Rises that The Dark Knight goes into retirement at the end of The Dark Knight and and he's been away for many years in The Dark Knight Rises and because of that, a new criminal organization has taken over Gotham City and it's gotten worse. And so Batman is now forced to come back and fight uh, the dark, the, uh, in this case, Bane. And it, it's kind of, it's, it's, now that I think about it, like, you know, he, Bane is not this muscle, in, in the comic book, he's a super muscle-bound steroid user. But in the comic book, or in the movie version, I should say, he's, um, he's not super muscled. You know, he is, he looks big. But he doesn't look like the steroid freak that you've seen in other versions of movies. Specifically, like if you think about Batman Forever, the, that version of Bane. Bane looks like a giant wrestler. <coughs> but the, this Bane looks a lot like the mutant leader who is like this. He's a very well-muscled uh, fighter. And so that makes sense that Batman has to fight the Bane character. And of course, they, they use the storyline from the comic book where Nightfall where Bane breaks his back and then Batman eventually has to put himself psychologically and physically back together to take Bane down and save Gotham City. Uh, so there, there's that homage to, I, you know, I, I'm only going by memory. I'm sure if you read the comic and then rewatch the movies, there will be even more homages that you're going to pick up on. Uh, and after this podcast, I'll probably be like, oh yeah, there's like several hundred others that I could think of. But that is a um, you know another in, how influential you know I even remember I was at a movie theater. This is before the the Dark Knight uh, came out. The, this is the second movie, of course, came out and they had a poster saying coming this summer, and it said the Dark Knight Returns. I swear to God, there was a poster that said that. And when the movie came out, it was just called the Dark Knight, uh, and, and maybe it was saying the Dark Knight Returns. You know, say because there was Batman Begins and then the Dark Knight comes back. But I swear there's a poster out there that says the Dark Knight Returns. And I was like, oh, well, I was like, I can't believe that they're calling it the Dark Knight Returns. This is like, are they really adapting it? Then you find out it's it's a loose adaptation of the Dark Knight Returns. But it's, it's, still, it's a great movie. I love the Christopher Nolan uh, trilogy. That's, those are great movies. And I love Batman Returns. Uh, there, there's the big fa fight at the end. There's... 
there's the big fight at the end of this comic book of Batman in his robo suit, uh, you know, fighting uh, Superman because, again, he's the government lackey and they have to have this final conversa- confrontation. And um, that, of course, is interpreted in the worst uh, DC movie uh, that's that's come out, which is the Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice. And that is the super cheesy fight uh, Zack Snyder put together. Uh, but it's much better in the comic book. Go just go look at the comic book. Don't even reference the the movie there. Um, but again, I jumped around a lot. I I'm talking about different aspects of the movie. I have only just touched on the surface of the the actual comic book storytelling. The other thing I found funny that uh, I'll throw in here at the end is uh, Frank Miller talking about why he included the um, talking heads, and you'll notice that. When the TV shows are on, they're much, they're super small. You can almost not even make out some of the images. And he wants to tell you that it's like that is because they're like inconsequential. They're like this buzzing that goes around that people could pay attention to. And when you when you read the the dialogue to it, you can see that a lot of the information is con- contradicting or conflicting each other. The information that the sh- the news is sharing, and that's what I was going back to saying, like the news that you follow is it true news or is it f- is it fake news? Fake news. So that's another another thing that uh, he, he you'll you'll notice that if you reread it again, all these little uh, talking heads and these little television screens. All right, what the I, I'm getting to the close to the hour point uh, here. I could definitely go on talk another hour, but you know something, I'll save some surprises for you if you do want to read the Dark Knight Returns. If you've never read it, it's definitely worth exploring the the. The art style, again, re- revisiting again, I love Frank Miller's art style in this one. And there's a lot of iconic iconic images that are in the comic, both on the covers and also inside the interior art, that people have paid homage to and, and reproduce over and over again over the years. So you can see how influential the, the comic book was and why it's always ranked at like high on the... Um, if you look at people's top 100 comics of all time, you're going to see that this one is ranked up there. Uh, and you can also see like how it also influential it could have been to Alan Moore when he was writing uh, the dark the the uh, the Watchmen book because uh, you can see that there is that at the main core it has the real political um, problems of the United States versus Russia and then there's this in in Watchmen you don't have the nuclear launch you're very close to a nuclear launch um, but of course that gets subverted but in the Dark Knight Returns, you have the actual nuclear launch, and Superman has to take the nuclear bomb down. And that's very interesting, too. So I'm going to leave that for you to, to read, to reread there. Uh, what do you think about The Dark Knight? you think it's, it's a good book? You can let me know. Um, you can also, if you didn't know we were going to talk about this book, you could follow our Twitter account. You know, go to comicsmisremembered.com. That's basically what I'm trying to tell you. Go to comicsmisremembered. There we have the links to all of our social media, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast. We have a Twitter account. We have a Facebook account. We have Instagram account. And uh, you can always listen to our podcast either directly through comicsmisremembered.com. Or if you want, um, we do have an Anchor account, and you can go there. And you can also subscribe to other individual ones like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We're all over the place. You can find us anywhere. But be sure to subscribe and to like and to leave comments. That's what helps grow the channel. We do appreciate your support. And we will be back in a week to talk more comics.